0: Today today is right now, in fact, at this moment, it is time for the uh, junior and senior high to follow Jeff out of this door into the fireplace room for your class. Um, today is the day of class, yes, so you'll want to uh, follow Jeff out, and I'm sure he has uh, something wonderful back there for you. Um, today on the church calendar. It, is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost is the Jewish feast uh, which occurred 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. And it was on this day the disciples were gathered together in the upper room and they were first, they were, for the first time they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and the sound, the sound of a rushing wind filled the room, and what you know, looked like tongues of fire rested on their heads, and they began speaking in tongues, and so the church was born. Okay, this is, this is the day the church was born, on Pentecost Sunday. And you know Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came and endued them with power. And then on the day of Pentecost, on the Feast of Pentecost, that's what happened. They were, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were endued with power. They were emboldened. They were empowered. And now it was time to go after the mission that Jesus had given them just before he returned to heaven. And the mission is to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. And by the way, nations there does not mean political. It's not talking about political boundaries or anything like that. It's talking about people groups, wherever you find a people group. There can be within one political country, there can be several different or a number of different people groups, and that's what it's talking about. Saying, go out and make disciples of all people groups, everyone. That's the mission that he gave the early disciples, and it's never changed. And it really never will change until the day he returns. That's why, you know, what what, what Jesus says goes, right? How many agree with that? What Jesus says should go. That should be the that should be our marching orders. And Colossians 1.18 says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then in everything he might have the supremacy. There is no one higher than him, so that means that he is in charge. So when he tells us to do something when you know and, and he, he, he says that he gives us what he what we need to do it, then we need to pay attention with that so you know in his commission. He what he's doing is he is giving us an invitation to join with him in saving, restoring, and his healing work. He's commissioning us and and inviting us to join him. And you know, when you think about it, you think of all the the condition of the world and how crazy and everything is, it's quite a daunting task. And it's it's not gonna happen. You know, it's not gonna happen by reasoning with people, by arguing with people, by debating on people. It's not going to happen by going on Facebook and insulting someone. It's not going to happen by going on social media and, and starting an argument or debate with somebody. There's The, the, the mission is too great. It's not going to happen that way. The reason Jesus told his disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit would come is because he knew that it wasn't going to take just words. It was going to take the Holy Spirit's power. That's what Paul said. And we said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, my message and my preaching were not with, that, with wise and persuasive words. It wasn't some witty argument. It wasn't some eloquent speech. It wasn't, you know, these fancy words that I used. He says, but it was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom or human reasoning What we can figure out, but rather on God's power. We have been invited to partner with God, you and me, to partner with God to change the world. I want you to think about it. That's pretty incredible. Look around you, just look around. Look around the room. We're not a very big church, right? What can we do? Well, just look at Jesus with his disciples. He took an 11, 11 guys, sent them out, and they multiplied. They changed the world. And that's what he's inviting you and me to join Him in doing. I want to say yes to that, and I hope you do too. But if we're going to say yes to His invitation, it's going to require that we do three things. First, we have to begin to see the world as the Spirit sees it. In other words, through His eyes. We have to begin to see the world as the Spirit sees it. How does God see the world? See, he's omniscient. That means he knows all things. He's all-knowing. He sees and he knows the world in all of its reality. There's nothing that gets by him. There's nothing that he doesn't see. (laughs) He sees and knows every bit of suffering that goes on in this world. He sees and knows the torture of the girl who's being sold multiple times a day to gratify the lust of men who pay money just to abuse her. He sees the person crawled up in a cardboard box because they have nowhere else to try to go and escape from the cold rain. He hears the rumbling stomach of the mom or dad who hasn't eaten in two days because they gave what little food that they had to their kids. He sees the tears of the man who's just been given a terminal diagnosis and is wondering what's going to happen to his family when he's gone. He knows the fear of the family who just lost everything to a hurricane or a flood or some other natural disaster. Volcano in Hawaii. The small child being forced to work long hours making bricks in a factory in India or working in the rice fields in India for nothing. He hears the cries of the parents who lost their child in the school shooting in Texas on Friday or the one in Georgia on Friday. Every bit of pain and suffering in this world, he sees it. And you know what happens when he sees it? His heart breaks. It's torn apart. And we wonder and we ask God, how, God, why, where, uh, what, what? God, don't you see this? He does see it. We ask, you know, how can you allow this to happen? When are you going to do something about it? And he says... You are my hands and my feet on earth now. When are you going to do something about it? You see, first, we need to begin to see the world as God sees it. And it can be so easy to just want to shut out the unpleasantness and pretend that we don't see it. Because maybe it doesn't directly affect our lives. Or sometimes we see it and we rationalize that in some way they they brought it upon themselves. As if that would relieve us of any responsibility. You know, I thank God He didn't look at me that way and say, "Well, Well, Dave, you know, you made your bed, now lie in it. That's not God. He sees the suffering. And He calls us to do something about it. See, God loves us way too much to let it just go on and and not make provision for something for it. But when we see it, you know, we become so overwhelmed. There's just so much to do. And we ask, what can we do? It starts right here. It starts simply by praying you know, and asking God to help us not just to see the need, but then to see the people the way that he sees them. It's one thing to talk about human trafficking. It's something else to listen to the stories of those who were trafficked. I I, I was looking for... Um, I was talking to someone or messaging someone recently about... Um, uh, some good books to read on the the, uh, the plight of uh, African-American slaves in this country and, and, and so forth. And they asked, well, are you wanting historical or are you wanting, you know, like biographical, you know? And I said, I want both. I want to look at both because it's one thing to read from history, the reality of what happened, okay? It's something else when you read the story stories of the people that went through it. You know, I just finished uh, 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 Frederick Douglass's uh, uh, biography and um, um, Booker T. Washington's biography, and you know, and, and another guy, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but he, he there, there was a movie actually about him recently, 12 Years as a Slave, uh, and, and, you know, been reading those and trying to get firsthand accounts of what they went through. It's overwhelming. And then I look at, been reading some more books again on human trafficking and looking at the suffering that people go through and hearing the stories of how they got lured into it and then how they eventually, the lucky ones, eventually got out of it and saying, we've got to do something about the suffering in the world. But how? We need to pray and start seeing not just the situation, but the individuals, see the people, see the faces. And, and, and as, we see, as we see the people, we need to see them the way that God sees them. And then when we don't know how to pray, you ever been in that spot? realize that that if we come to him he will show us how to pray Romans eight twenty six says the spirit helps us in our weaknesses when we feel like we don't know what to say when we feel like we don't know what to do he helps us in our weaknesses for example when we don't know what God wants us to pray the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uh, expressed in words God is faithful. He'll bring us to that place, and then he takes over where our weakness kicks in. He takes over where our strength fails. And when we really begin to see how much God loves those who are suffering and those who are hurting, then we will begin to find a way to do something about it. In Jeremiah 31.3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's a never-ending love. It doesn't, doesn't end. It doesn't fade. It, 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 it goes on forever. It's continuous. It's unconditional. He it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. I have continued to extend faithful love to you. I've been reading in my quiet time this morning, been going through Israel's history and, and, and noticed several times where it says God, you know, sent the prophets to the king and sent the, you know, he 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 he, he sent his word to, to the king and to the people over and over and over and over and they just denied, they just, you know, ignored him and and or or mocked the prophets. And I'm thinking, how long-suffering is God that he would send you know, those to say, you know, over and over, say, look, turn back to me. God reaches out to people over and over and over, continually extending his faithful love. But at the same time, he has given us a free will. We can say yes to his love or we can say no to it. We can choose life. We can choose death. Because he loves us, he gives us that choice. So we begin with with looking at the world and beginning to see it, beginning to see the people, not just the world as a whole, but the people as God sees them. And the second thing is we begin to partner with the Spirit in the world. We begin to partner with the Holy Spirit. Think about this. God invites you to partner with him in his work. The work that he does in this world, he he does it through you and he does it through me. Look at Ephesians 2.10. Paul says, we are God's masterpiece. That means God created you as a work of art. Okay, it can be true, you know, workmanship, masterpiece. uh, The word comes from the word poem. So it's a creative, you know, God created you as a work of art. And that means he took care in creating you. You were not just thrown together, you know, some haphazard way. I got a couple of ears. Yeah, those look good. But stick those on, stick the nose on, you know, and said, no, I want a little bigger one. Take that out. Oh, yeah, that's good. It wasn't some, you know, he took care in creating you, you know, as his masterpiece. There's a reason that he designed you the way that he did. Do you know that? There's a reason that God created you the way that he did, and this is it. Continuing in verse 10, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He created you, he loved you, he redeemed you so that you can get to business doing the works that he gave you to do or that he called you to we planned for you to do a long time ago from the founding of the world. His plan for you, was to do those good works that he had already laid out for you. So what are those things? There's no way we could list all of them. But he wants us to partner with him to do his works in the world. So here's a few things. He wants to lay your hands on the sick and see them made well. Okay? Okay? If we're partnering with him, he wants to lay your hands on the sick to see them made well. Uh, He he wants your mouth to speak his life-giving words of hope to that young person who feels like giving up on his life. He wants you to feed the hungry. He wants to put your arm around the shoulder of the lonely. He wants to take your tears and my tears and mix them with those of the one who is broken and weeping. You see, God is moving in this world, and He's changing this world, and He's doing it through the church, one, day, one life at a time. He's doing it through the church being the church. You know, a lot of people have a picture of the church You know, it's as, as a place where people, where Christians come together and sing songs and hear a sermon and, and do some good things, and that's not what the church is. It really is, and it's not a place, it's a people. It's a people who have been redeemed and who come together to worship the one who rescued them from the dominion of darkness and set them in the kingdom of his son. It's a people who are on mission to rescue others who are trapped under the tyrannical rule of the kingdom of darkness. That's the church. It's people who are on mission with God. God's mission did not stop after Jesus rose from the dead ascended into heaven. That's when he, just when he lit the fuse. <clears throat> On the day of Pentecost, the church was launched and 3,000 people were saved. God is reaching out to this world. He's reaching out to this community. He's reaching out to your neighborhood. He's reaching out to your workplace. And he's inviting you to partner with him. And he created you with that in mind. Chances are, the very things that you think disqualify you for your mission, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like you're disqualified? Chances are, the very things that you think disqualify you for the mission are the very things that he wants to use to reach others. Because God is a God of redemption, and he redeems us. He redeems our lives. He redeems our stories. He redeems our pain. He redeems our brokenness, and He uses it to rescue someone else. So that very thing that you hide inside and don't want others to see, chances are that's the very thing that God wants you to bring out and to share with someone to redeem them. So we see as the Holy Spirit... We see the world as the Holy Spirit sees it. We partner with the Holy Spirit as He works in the world. And third thing is, we discern the Holy Spirit in mission. We discern the Holy Spirit in mission. As we cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, see, we get better at discerning what's His voice and what's not. We begin to hear His promptings above all the noise and all the clatter that surround us. And it's not just hearing what he wants us to do. There's also a when and a how and who to do it with. All of that involves discernment. But how do you know that? It's learned. We grow in this. We grow in this learning. It's not, the, it's not a you know, plug the information into the computer and you know, out comes the answer type of thing. We have a relational God, and he works in us and with us and through us in relational ways. You know, when I first began to consciously, you know, pr- begin praying for the sick and praying for healing, not just in the sense of, oh, God, um, you know, so-and-so has is, is got the flu today. Would you, you know, heal him and touch him? You know, but when I actually learned, you know, I began to learn how to, you know, to lay hands on the sick and that, that God wanted to use us to do that, and, and that, um, I, I started to read a number of books by a variety of people. And, and by the way, there are good models, there are not as good models, but when Jesus is in it, he uses. I mean, he'll, he'll work through all of it. You know, he'll, he'll work through all of it. But I think some models are better than others. When I first began, I, one book, you know, was real, uh, uh, very specific on what to do. You know, you determine, you know, if, first off, you know, what are you praying for? And let's say the neck, okay? Somebody has a sore neck or a disc out in the neck or something. And they, and they would ha- have a term for it, the neck thing. TNT, the neck thing. And they would say, okay, for the neck thing, this is how you put pray. You place your hand on the neck in, 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 you know, in uh, such position. Your thumb is here. Your fingers are here. You place your hand on your neck there. And then you say these words and make this, you know, say this prayer and that. And then there, if there was a back thing then. You know, you do the same thing for the back or the leg or, or whatever it was. It's very specific and and uh, uh, very. It, it just seemed so strange and it seemed so forced and so formula based. And that's a very different model than what we use in the vineyard. I loved it when I finally, you know, when I was taught, you know, I had read all these different models in that, and I was taught the vineyard model, the one that we, and it's not like our model is the one, but it works for, I mean, it it fits me, it fits who I am. And, you know, it's very low-key, it's very relational-based, it comes from relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit, and it involves discerning what the Holy Spirit is doing. See, generally at the vineyard, when we pray for someone, we slow down. And we listen, and we invite the Holy Spirit. We invite the Holy Spirit to come, and there's periods of silence while we give Holy, the Holy Spirit the space to speak to us, and the time to speak to us. And sometimes we have to tell people that you know I, I've prayed for people before, uh, and you know, we, it's, okay, let's pray. It's Holy Spirit, come! And all of a sudden, they rattle off, start talking a mile a minute. And it's like, no, 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 you just be quiet and you receive. We're praying for you. And and if you hear us be quiet for a while, you know, don't let that bother you. Don't let the silence bother you because we are listening, trying to discern if the Holy Spirit wants to give us some direction on how to pray. Very different model than than you know the one that's blasting the gates of heaven with our mouth constantly moving see if we're partnering with the holy spirit then we need him you know we need to give him the time to see if he wants to speak to us because we may be partnering with him but he is the senior partner right he's the senior partner so when we pray for someone you know we'll we'll you know have a couple people stand around them or a small group stand around them or whatever and And uh, a lot of times we just put them in a chair, the hot seat we call it, you know, and, and just gather around just so that they're relaxed. We want to get them relaxed so that they can receive and we invite the Holy Spirit to come and rest on the person and begin to minister to the person and we ask him, you know, how would you have us to pray? And then there's usually several moments of silence. It's not that we can't figure out what to say. It's simply we're listening. To see if we hear the Holy Spirit tell us, I want you to pray in this way. Or I want you to pray like this. And then one person prays. And then another person will pray. And then maybe someone else. Maybe there's some more silence. We're still listening. See, if we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, we're discerning what He's wanting to do. And that takes being able to focus in on Him and tune out everything else and listen. See, prayer is communication. It's not just talking. It's a, it's a two-way street, talking and then listening for an answer. So we partner with God in His mission. As we do that, He's going to show us how. He's going to give us the tools we need. Right? He's going to give us the tools we need. He gives us gifts of the Spirit like we talked about a few weeks ago. He gives us boldness and empowerment that we need that comes from being baptized with the Holy Spirit, as we talked about earlier. He gives us the words that we need in the moment. Look what he told, um, what Jesus said to his disciples. He knew the day was coming as he's talking to his disciples. He knew the day was coming when they would face arrest and persecution because of them. And he told them in Luke 12, 11 and 12, he says, and when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, he knew that was going to happen. He didn't say if, he said when. He said when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and rulers before, or, or, yeah, and before the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to, you're to, to defend yourself or what you're to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said the holy spirit will teach you at that time he will give you what you need when you need it and he does the same thing with us he gives us what we need when we need it and when do we need it he needs it or well he needs it he, we need it when he's in the middle of when we are in the middle of doing ministry not before you see when you invite him or when you hear him invite you to get involved, beyond just, you know, you you respond by saying, yes, Lord. And then you begin to take a step of faith, and you begin to risk. And that's when he shows up. Think of it this way. A doctor is going into surgery. Okay? Think of the instruments he uses. A scalpel or whatever else. I don't know all the instruments, scopes, or whatever he uses in surgery. He's going into surgery. When does he need those instruments? Not until he goes into the operating room, right? Not until he's ready to begin the surgery. He doesn't need the scalpel when he's at home eating breakfast. He doesn't need it when he's in his car driving to the hospital. He doesn't need the instruments when he you know, looks at the schedule for the day and, and you know, starts walking down the hospital corridors to, to, uh, to the OR. When he needs them is when he walks into the operating room and is ready to operate. Then it's like, okay, I need the in- instruments now. I need the scalpel now. And that's when he gets them. That's when he uses them. God loves this world and he is on a mission to rescue people from the tyrannical rule of darkness. I love Colossians 1.13. Write that down. Look it up when you get home. Memorize it. Look it up in other translations. Translations. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and set us in the kingdom of His beloved Son. He is on on a mission to rescue people from that tyrannical rule that has them bound and has them blinded. And He wants to use you and He wants to use me to join Him in His mission to do it. That's how he has chosen to work. He doesn't have plan B. And as we do, as we join him, the Holy Spirit will give us what we need when we need it. And he knows it requires faith. He knows that we can't do it without him. That we need him. Jesus said in John 5, 19, he tells the disciples, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. What he see, Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. It's the same way with us. So look for what God is doing. Look for what He's doing in the lives of the people around you. Look for what He's doing in your neighborhood. Look for what He's doing in your workplace. Look for what He's doing in your friends' lives. Look for what God is doing. And listen for His invitation to join Him. And then say yes, take that step of faith, take that risk. Someone once described risk as going out into, onto the end of a diving board of a pool with no water in it, taking the dive and trusting that God is going to fill the pool of water very quickly. Is that right? Sometimes you ever been in a situation where you felt like that? Step of faith. See, the thing is, when I say God wants to use you, I don't want you to hear the you as a corporate you, as the church. I mean, that's true. But I want you to hear the word you as in the person sitting in your seat. That's who he wants to use. And you may think, there's nothing that I can do. It's not true. God has placed you where you are. He has created you who he's created you to be. Who you are. Because he knew that one day you would be in this spot right here. And he wants to use you. And he will use you to touch people that you come in contact with. Begin to look. Begin to see. You Begin to see the pain and the suffering in someone's life. Say, God, break my heart over that pain and suffering. And then use me. I'd like the worship team to come on up.